Opening weekend is in the past. The White Sox split with the Houston Astros in Houston at Minute Maid Park this weekend. A two and two start to the season. Put it on the board podcast. We're coming at you with a weekend recap from the first four games of Pedro Grafol's tenure as White Sox manager. A few breakout stars uh, and some bright spots for the White Sox as we look forward to this 2023 season. But are we concerned? Are there any uh, red flags that we need to be looking at as things get underway with another full week of baseball ahead of us? But a two and two start. We're breaking it all down right now. So let's put some crooked numbers up on that board. This is episode five of the Put It on the Board podcast and our first episode of regular season recaps. The White Sox uh, completed their opening weekend in Houston against the defending champion Houston Astros, and it is a two to two split. So the White Sox get the win in the opener on Thursday. They drop some highly competitive games on Friday and Saturday after having a lead in every game, but a nice job by Mike Clevenger uh, getting things started. Yoan Moncada carrying the offense and the boys uh, get a getaway day victory here on a Sunday and a two to two series split. So uh, my co-host Noah Phelan coming in here to recap the opening series of the 2023 season. And Noah, I guess just your initial reaction here after a stressful and uh, competitive, but kind of refreshing weekend it's good to have baseball back but what were your thoughts on the White Sox performance yeah I was fortunate enough to be able to watch uh, pretty much all four games from start to finish this weekend Um, so I got my fair share of White Sox baseball in Um, there were certainly some stressful moments there were certainly some things that I didn't love from the team this weekend but overall I mean had you told me earlier in the week that the Sox were going to come home from Houston uh, with a four-game split. I'd have been happily taken that. So uh, I consider this weekend series a success, and uh, I'm ready to ready to head home and face the Giants. It's always really hard, like either side, to not like overreact at opening day, opening week stuff. But I think I know why, and it's because. One, you forget the feeling of what it's like to win meaningful baseball. Like it, it hasn't been around and you like, if you're a team, especially that wasn't competitive the year before it's been over a full calendar year since the last time you had like a meaningful game to really get up for and get into when you kind of have a fresh slate. But on the flip side of things, I forgot what it felt like to burn three hours sitting and watching every single pitch of a game just to have it kind of ruin my day at the end. (laughs) Like it is really terrible to sit down and schedule your day around watching a White Sox game, especially on a weekend. And then you just are like, well, that was a very excruciating finish to this thing. And that makes me feel no good inside, but but you have to get a few under your belt where then you can start taking losses, uh, just rolling with the punches at that point. You know, sometimes I wish that they would just, get blown out and be down eight runs in the second inning. And then I don't have to waste all that time. Like I I can just go on with my day, do something else, not have to waste two and a half hours only for the game to end in heartbreak. I'd rather they just make it pretty clear early on that it's not happening for them today. And then I can move on. Well, I don't know if it's a, a trait of a good sports fan, a bad sports fan, or if it's caring too much or whatever it is, but I do find that these games just they my mood swings with the game like I'm sick to my stomach the rest of the day after a White Sox loss. Uh, Probably not the healthiest thing in the world because, you know, I'm going to have 60 at a minimum, but really bad days if I keep operating that way. But uh, yeah, I just find myself up and down where like today we got that nice win. We got out of Houston with a split on getaway day and I'm just I'm pumped about baseball. I'm high on baseball. I'm like feeling pretty good about myself, but uh, even though the result of the series was a a positive one as a whole, I guess, with a two to two series split against the defending champion Astros, that's not to say there weren't concerns 
in how the White Sox played this weekend. I, I mean, there were some overwhelming positives, but also I think some serious red flags that need to be fixed moving forward if they want to have a sustained success over the course of five months here. No, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, they did lose two of the games this weekend, so we're not going to sit here and act like, you know, oh, well, they played a perfect a perfect weekend of baseball. I mean, they came out of it with two wins and two losses. And while there were certainly things that, you know, we really did like to see, some of the guys that we really wanted to get off to a hot start did. Um, that's a great thing. Uh, the starting pitching was one thing that I noticed that was exceptional this weekend. I'm very happy with how they did, but there were definitely some things in there that were a little bit concerning. Um, and it's early, it's four games in, so plenty of time to turn it around. But it's just things that we noticed from this past weekend that if the White Sox want to have a bounce back season, if they want to go to the playoffs this year, it can't be stuff that continues all season. Yeah, it's stuff that I mentioned to you. And like the way that I describe it is winning in the margins is like the best way that I describe it. It's not something the White Sox did last year. Um, and it's a really frustrating way to watch baseball, but like watching runners get left in scoring position, watching pitchers that walk the nine hitter in a lineup and turn the lineup over to then, you know, cause yourself problems or players making errors in critical situations that extend an inning or poor situational hitting or a or bad challenge by the manager that you could look at late. Like you might need that later in the game. Those are things that the White Sox did really poorly a year ago that I also believe they kind of did poorly this weekend. Now we were fortunate enough to have some good play by the players mask some of that, but it's certainly stuff that you need to see get fixed to win close games. But, and I've told you this before, I don't subscribe to the, um, well, it's April. Well, it's early. Well, like this is a good team narrative that I think a lot of people do because I believe wholeheartedly this game matters just as much as the one that you're going to play against Cleveland in September will. Like you might look at the White Sox down the road and say, well, we're two back of the central. And I'm just going to think back about, you know, a game in April that you could have won or should have won, but gave away with little mistakes. Um, and those, as we saw last year, can snowball and pile up on you. And then you're looking at, well, we're 500. We could be 10 over had we executed in five games here, 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 and here. So, uh, couple things because there was a lot of things I listed right there, but I want to play a game with you real quick, Noah. Every, anybody who watched the White Sox this weekend would note that runners in scoring position, leaving guys on was a problem. They were getting hits in most innings, and that was encouraging to not just see them lay down some productive at bats in most innings, but not a lot to show for it most of the time, like a lot of empty frames that had guys on base. So out of curiosity, I have the numbers in front of me. I pulled these earlier today. How many different runners in scoring position do you think the White Sox had over their four games in Houston? This is not one guy who is left in scoring position by two players, but this is how many different players advance to scoring position at any point during the four games. Oh, that's going to be hard for me to pinpoint a number. Um, how many runs did they score first? Like how many runs did they score total on the weekend? It was what? Uh, six three today, plus three four plus yesterday. Four 16? Yeah. Yep. 16. So they, they scored 16 runs, but how many guys do you think they had on second or third at any point during the series? Does it include times that they scored? Yes. Um, I'll say... Th- 35. You're very close. It is 36. Now, how many of those guys, 36 different players reaching second or third base, do you think scored? 16. No. <laughs> Nine. Nine of 36 guys that you had in scoring position came around to score. It was one of 10 in the opener. Uh, a game that you won, ironically enough, three of six 
mainly because of the three straight doubles by Moncada, Benintendi, and Jimenez in game two, two of eight in game three, um, a game that, you know, you potentially win if you come through with runners in scoring position a few more times. And then today uh, we're recording on Sunday night. You're probably listening to this on a Monday or a Tuesday, but we are recording hours after the White Sox beat Houston on Sunday. In the fourth game, the finale, they had 12 runners in scoring position. Only three of them scored and they left the bases loaded with less than two outs multiple times with zero outs twice. Actually, they had the bases loaded, nobody out and didn't add a run. Um, so those are concerning figures for me. You have to be more situationally sound. Uh, and I look at the bottom of the lineup and Oscar Colas and Elvis Andrews today, but uh, I mean, Tim Anderson was guilty of it today. Yolan Mankata was guilty of it on Saturday. Like you have to find ways to produce runs when you have opportunities and, and that can be the difference in a ball game sometimes. And over the course of the season, a difference in your season. Yeah. I think ultimately you end up with guys in situations where they're just trying to do too much. I mean, when you have the bases loaded, nobody out, really all you need to do is hit the ball and play. That's not a pop-up. Even a double play scores you a run. So, I mean, oftentimes you get guys going up there trying to be a hero in that situation and, they end up swinging at a bad pitch and striking out or, you know, swinging for the fences and popping one up. And you saw that a couple of times today. It it just happened to be Colos and Andrus in two different situations today. And neither one of them came through either time. <laughs> um, but it's, it's something that I feel like happens to every team, but, you know, we pay attention to the White Sox more. We see it happen with them and it seemed to happen a lot last year, which, it's just something that can't happen when you get the bases loaded with nobody out. If you don't score at least one run, that's a major, major problem. Well, it seems to happen to every team. And I'm sure it does over the course of a year, but it seemingly doesn't to the good teams. And, and you know, that I guess it's further um, highlighted when you're playing a team like Houston, that gives you no breaks at any time. And it doesn't matter who is up to bat or on the mound, they are going to do the little things well, and you give them an inch, they will take a mile. Like, and we see that every single time we play in the house of horrors, that is minute Maid park. But, uh, that was really something that stood out to me is like, you know, you got a two, two split. I couldn't help but feeling like the White Sox should have swept this series. They were in a position to win all four games. At the very least, win three out of four. They had the lead in all four games. Right. You're in a position to win. And like, even if it's a tie game in the seventh, which they were in a few times as well, those last three innings come down to who's going to get the big hit with a runner on base and what bullpen is going to attack hitters and throw strikes and be efficient on the mound. Um, And that brings me to concern number two, which was the bullpen. You mentioned the starting rotation. They did 22 innings of five earned runs, eight walks, 13 hits, 30 strikeouts. So 30 strikeouts in 22 innings and uh, a whip lower than one in ERA. uh, I believe it was in the low twos for the starting staff. The bullpen 12 innings, 11 earned runs, 10 walks, 16 hits, and 11 strikeouts. Again, it's four games. We don't want to overreact, but the bullpen was a major, major red flag and just unit that struggled this weekend. They don't have Liam Hendricks. They have to be better moving forward. Otherwise, I feel like we're going to have a lot of the same games where we're like, what happened? You got a great start from so-and-so. How did we end up here with, you know, a two run loss? Yeah, that was the main red flag for me this weekend um, Two, like I said, they had the lead in all four games. Uh, the two games that they did end up losing were games that the bullpen gave up runs. And it, it was just kind of the little things for me. You know, uh, we talked a little bit about in game two on Friday night the other day, you know, the White Sox have the lead and you've got two outs, nobody on base. and the nine hitter Martin Maldonado coming up to the plate who hit like 170 or something last year and Kendall Graveman walks him. And it's like, you know, 
he's still got a chance to get out of it because there's a man on base and two outs now, but now you're turning the lineup over to the top of the order. And you know that this Houston lineup is full of guys that can kill you. And Maldonado isn't usually one of them. So there's no reason for me why you don't just go after him. And if he, if he takes you yard, good for him, but I'd rather take my chances attacking Maldonado than putting him on base and having to face, you know, your Jeremy Pena, Alex Bregman, Jordan Alvarez group. And so that's exactly what happened. He put Maldonado on base, Pena got a base hit, Bregman walked, and then Alvarez drove in three and gave the Astros the lead and the Sox ended up losing that game. So it's just the little things like that, you know, attacking hitters that you should get out. And I feel like the White Sox bullpen just did not do a good job of that this weekend. Yeah, I mean, some of it's batted ball luck, which was the case. Like, I think Jose Ruiz really got babipped a little bit, you know, in his tough outing, a couple bloop singles. Lucas Giolito, not in the bullpen, but, you know, the two runs that he gave up were them not hitting the ball hard at all and barely getting it out of the infield, but it found holes and it produced runs. But I I guess that's why those little things matter so much, right? I mean, you have to protect yourself from the broken bat single or from the seeing eye ground ball that finds its way into left field. Houston, they're relentless. That lineup is relentless, especially when you get to those middle of the order hitters that you mentioned, like they're going to find a way to put a good at bat together, put a ball in play. I think another one that stuck out to me that I don't feel like people are talking about because the White Sox won the game was Aaron Bummer in the opener. I believe he came in with one out and first and second replacing Dylan Cease. And he walked a guy, got a strikeout and then, you know, threw a wild pitch and and the, the Astros run in that game was on a wild pitch, which at the time seemingly lost you the ball game. I mean, they ended up coming through Yasmani Grandal hits the big home run, Andrew Vaughn with the two run double and you get out of there with a win, but that's another inning of like, man, you cannot give a team like the Houston Astros a run on a wild pitch when you've shut them down and like dominated them all, all evening. Cause if you lose that game, you're going to have a really bitter taste in your mouth that you wasted a dominant start from Dylan Cease. Yeah. And it goes back to what I was talking about with the walks too. It's like, The Astros are a team that is very, very talented offensively. Obviously, they just won the World Series, you know, so we know they're a great team. And these kind of teams, you want to make them beat you. You don't want to give them anything. You don't want to give them base runners or opportunities or extra outs. You don't want to make errors and give them extra outs because good teams will make you pay for that. And in the games that we saw the White Sox lose this weekend, that's exactly what happened. The White Sox relievers just gave them extra opportunities and the Astros made them pay. And that's what's going to happen against good teams all year. Not even good teams, fundamentally sound teams. Like you want to know why Houston is a house of horrors for the White Sox or why they've had a hard time with Cleveland or even a team like Kansas City in recent years. Because if you are a team that puts guys on base, has, has difficulty fielding the baseball, which the White Sox did last season, you can't situationally hit when you start running into teams that take the extra 90 feet that throw strikes that are, you know, aggressive on the base paths, put the ball in play that make you earn it. Even if they're less talented, like they are in Kansas city, you're going to have problems sometimes. So like, those are the things that the white Sox need to clean up. And uh, it's not to say that this is going to be an issue all year because it's four games into a 162 game season. These guys have to get warm and get going a little bit. And you were playing a very, very good team that probably further highlights these issues. But this is why you brought in Pedro Grafol to fix some of this stuff. So as the season starts to play out, these will be the things that I'm looking at as, you know, how much of an impact is Pedro Grafol making? Like are the White Sox being, winning games in the margins the one way that I mean they made one mistake that I was also very upset about when it happened that ended up getting masked by a win was the Yoan Moncada uh, going to third on a double as at the time the tying run in this top of the seventh inning with nobody out he had a leadoff double down by one and got thrown out trying to extend it to third base which is just an inexcusable base running error 
whether or not you believe Moncada might have been safe, it's not a risk that you can take in that situation. Uh, other than that, I thought they were very good on the bases this past weekend, which I, I will tip my hat to because that was refreshing to see them taking the extra 90 feet, being pretty wise in their decision-making. They stole a lot of bases. Tim Anderson was aggressive. I think Ben and had a stolen base. Elvis Andrus had a stolen base. So um, that was nice to see. Yeah. Um, that base running play. I agree with you. I didn't like it. Um, I was kind of taught playing little league. Uh, you never make the first or third out at third base. Yep. If you're going that's to take a risk, that's one oh one, man. And like, yeah. it, it's the situation like of be, it's even worse because you're down one. And it's like, at, at that moment you can, you have, I believe it was Benintendi up after him or who was it after him that was coming up? Right yeah, it was Benintendi. Benintendi right after him with an opportunity like that's a contact guy, a guy that knows how to put the ball in play. He's also a lefty, can easily hit a ground ball to the right side and move you into scoring position. Um, and then as you would have it, Yasmani Grandal hits a home run two batters later. Now, Yoan Moncada standing on second base, like you have a lead on that home run. And thankfully they won the game anyway. But those are the ones that I'm just like, I get irked by because I'm just like, Ugh, like, you know, th- that's an extra run that you should have on the board. I don't want to spend too much time, though, on on the negatives, because overall, it was a productive weekend that y- you'll take it. You We don't shoot to be a 500 team, but if you can play 500 ball against the best teams in baseball, you'll take it. And there was a lot of good that came out of this, specifically some of the players on the White Sox that really impressed me with one, their performance, but then two, just their overall demeanor and how they looked, which brings us to the star of the week. Um, There's a couple that you can go with. I think there's one obvious one. So no, I'll let you take it away because I think that's where you're going. But who is your star of the week for the White Sox, even if it's just a weekend in this case? I thought about going with the obvious one, but I decided not to. Um, I do want to commend Yoan Moncada. Great weekend at the plate, hitting 444 after the first weekend. But the guy that I went with was Yasmani Grandal. Um, and that's not beca- not only because I chose him as my bounce back candidate for the season, but I do want to uh, point that out, as I will probably point out many times this year if he continues to hit well. Um, but yeah, Yaz, three hits today. Uh, yesterday, he didn't play, but uh, he didn't start, but he did pinch hit. He drew a walk. Um, and of course, that home run back on opening day, uh, I believe he had two hits on opening day as well. So he's he's looked good. He's been moving really well behind the plate. Um, you can just see that he looks healthier. He's moving better. He The swing looks like it's back to normal. Um, he's driving the ball. And when he's doing that, he's going to increase his walks too, because when he's hitting home runs, when he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark, pitchers aren't going to give him balls over the middle of the plate anymore. So he's going to start walking again. So lots of good things I've seen from Grandal. Um, he needs to stop throwing from his knees on stolen bases because he's not going to throw anybody out doing that. But, you know, beggars can't be choosers. I'm I'm thrilled with the weekend that he had. So I'd be interested in looking at the league wide stats on throw like stolen bases, because at least in Houston this weekend, I didn't feel like we really had anybody that was at risk of getting thrown out. It felt like stolen bases were kind of at will. But is that the bigger bases like or is it the disengagement rule? I Like, I don't know what it is, but it felt like guys were just taking the extra base. If you had moderate speed, you could go and get second pretty easily. Yeah. I think it's a little of both. Uh, Steve stone said on the broadcast today, I think he said like 87.5 was the success rate or something so far, which at this time last year, the success rate was like 68% or something. So um, stolen base attempts are up like crazy. Well, Major but League Baseball also, wanted, and yeah, that's exactly I, what they wanted. I can't complain either. I mean, I do enjoy fundamental baseball in that way. Like, I, I have a little bit of that old school in me that there's something about Tim Anderson get drawing a leadoff walk, stealing second, getting moved over to third, and a sack fly, like generating your first run. That I just think is really, uh, it, it's just fun. It, it's it's just action, and it gives teams a more unique way of 
scoring runs and prioritizes speed. Like somebody like Tim Anderson, I've never felt like he was more valuable than I did this weekend, knowing that he, he can steal bases. Like the White Sox haven't done it with Tim in a long time, but, but he wasn't even thrown. He was not thrown out last year. I believe he had 13 stolen bases, wasn't thrown out, went two for two this weekend on stolen bases. So just that's a really valuable guy. Um, you had Grandal, who, yeah, five for 12, a double, a homer, two walks, uh, was one of those guys I marked down as just looking better in terms of like how he moved. And of course, no shift, pounding the ball to the right side of the, the infield on the ground was finding holes. And if that's going to be the case for Yasmani Grandal all year, he's a threat in that lineup, like a legitimate, like can trust him to drive in runs type of threat. Another guy that I had down, I, I had four players that I marked down as like the standouts, Grandal being one of them, Tim Anderson being one of them, who went seven for 18 with a couple stolen bases. The slam dunk star of the week is Yoan Moncada, who went eight for 18, three doubles, two home runs, four RBIs. Noah, he's third in baseball in total bases right now with 17 total bases. So he's one of the uh, hitters that had the most dominant weekend but my star that I chose full transparency thinking you would pick Yohan Moncada I, I want to tip my cap to Dylan Cease because what he did on opening night against that lineup was one of the more impressive pitching performances I've watched it, it, the numbers you know you, you see the run you like you see only six and a third done I have never seen a guy with that good of stuff just pinpoint to the corner, repeating the same pitch over and over and over again. And he's got the best lineup potentially in the game looking silly. So like that was a absolute joy to watch. It was even more fun to watch which with the pitch clock because he's moving so fast. So it's just like, Take that, take that, take that. We'll see you later. I told I went to a bathroom break, came back, and the half inning was over because Dylan Cease was mowing hitters down so quickly. Six and a third, two hits, zero walks, one run, which Aaron Bummer then surrendered in relief after Dylan came out of the game. Ten strikeouts. He was one of five pitchers in baseball to record double-digit strikeouts this weekend. So that's my star of the week for all the hoopla that was uh, Dylan Cease's bad spring training. That was as dominant as he's been in a White Sox uniform on opening night. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to watch. And it was really fun to watch him grab the ball, press the little button on his wrist, and then throw the pitch. And, I, I mean, the ESPN broadcast was talking about how they think he was calling his own game, and it certainly looked like it. Which is uh, which... additionally entertaining and fun and awesome to just know, like, Dylan knows what he wants to throw. He knows where he wants to throw it, and he's going he's gonna to spot it up and sit down. Like, I mean, it was awesome. Yeah, and the best part for me of the Dylan Cease outing, and I, I tweeted about this the next day, but there was only one start last year. Uh, for Dylan Cease the entire season where he didn't walk anybody and he did not walk anybody on opening night he did hit a batter but no walks he's already matched his 2022 total and for the guy who led Major League Baseball in walks and still finished second place in the Cy Young voting if he can get those walks under control this year I'm not sure that he's going to be second dude he went he went down 3-0 to Jordan Alvarez in that game and gave him a backdoor slider changed his eye level with a fastball, then painted him on the upper upper outside part of the zone with 99. We'll see you later to one of the best hitters in the world. It like it was a masterclass. So I I have to give him my star of the week. But I mean Yoan Moncada on paper deserves all the recognition in the world for what he did. And, and you know the player that he looks like he might be in 2023 is really exciting. But man, was I pumped up to watch Dylan Cease. Um so we're gonna Go on the flip side here. Bum of the week. Bum of the week. Yeah, There's a couple guys that you might be able to point to that didn't have their best week. I mean, I'll go with the one that, you know, I was sour on in our preseason podcast that underwhelmed me this this weekend. It was Elvis Andrus for me. Like, did not have an incredibly productive week uh, weekend at the plate. His situational hitting left a lot to be desired, left a lot of guys on base, had a lot of opportunity. Um, 
So for a guy who I was a little bit skeptical about the impact he might have on this year's team coming into the year, didn't get off to a great start to convince me otherwise. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised or have a problem if kind of this continued, if we started to see a lot more of Romy Gonzalez at second base. Yeah, uh, Elvis did have one hit in the first game and one hit in the second game, but uh, he's still sitting on 2,999 career hits. Or sorry, 1,999. He is one away from 2,000. And I saw a tweet. Maybe that's what it is. That Maybe that's the theory that we need, that there's a little bit of a uh, camel on his back here because he's he's thinking about 2,000. And sometimes guys can go through a little bit of slump right before a milestone. So perhaps that's the issue that Elvis has had, especially in some of these situational spots where it's like, I could hit a sack fly or I could get my 2,000th hit as like a, three run double and like do you know be hero um so hopefully after he breaks out of that and gets that number 2000 in the books that we start to see elvis at least of like what we know he can be of just like average Uh, like nobody expects elvis of last year we've been over that like that was a, a crazy two months that was the best two months of maybe his baseball career but we need him to, you know, do the things at the plate that a veteran leader should do. You can't have him back there uh, throwing away at bats behind a rookie in Oscar Colas, who is showing some of his inexperience at the plate right now as well. Like you, you can't do that. Yeah. His at bats didn't look great, especially the ones today. Um, it's early. I'm not going to give up on the guy just yet, but that is a guy to watch. Like you yeah, said, no, we're, uh, we're, we're going to be doing bum of the week throughout the whole season. And we're going to be calling out guys that are having very good years. So like you, being the bum of the week does not mean we're out on somebody or, you know, giving up on him. It just means, yeah, you weren't good enough. This, this slate of games uh, and we need better out of you. I, and that was the guy for me that I was like, yeah, we need better out of Elvis Andrus right now. No, I totally agree. Uh, I kind of figured that you would choose him, so I did not. Um, This may be cheating a little bit, but my bum of the week was the White Sox bullpen. Um, They are the collective bums of the week. And that, like you said, in general, the the bullpen ERA as a whole was not great. Um, There were some individual performances. For example, Aaron Bummer today looked great. Nice one, two, three inning on just five or six pitches. So he did well today. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to get this on the record because I told you this off Mike, which we shouldn't do. We, we talked about not wanting to do that, but I need to get it on the record of the podcast on Pedro Grafol. If by some chance you are listening to the, put it on the board podcast, please stop pitching Aaron bummer with runners on base. This is a guy who needs a fresh inning. I believe very strongly that he is somebody who needs wiggle room to work out of his own jams yes he can strike a guy out yes he can be as dominant as ever in a clean frame and and look like one of the best relievers in baseball but he has a very when he has a very thin margin for error his inability to locate at times is a liability you saw that in his first outing of the season when he walked a guy and then threw a wild pitch and surrendered the lead Aaron Bummer is a guy who is a perfect setup man in a one-run game. If you're giving him a clean eighth inning, I don't want to see him anymore with the bases loaded and two outs and you need a guy to come and get you an out or two on and two out, whatever it is. Stop throwing him with runners on. I I think he will be very, very good as long as he is used in the correct situation. No, I don't think you're wrong there. I think there's some guys that are just kind of built that way. Um, they're they're great at getting themselves into jams and then getting out of them. <laughs> there's some guys that just kind of have a knack for that thing. Uh, and there's some guys that just it kind of gets in their head when they come into the game and there's already runners on base that they didn't put there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there may be something to that with Bummer. Um, I think the bullpen as a whole is uh, just something that needs to improve um, because the numbers that they put up this weekend are not sustainable and it's going to lead to a lot of blown leads. So I'm not saying that the bullpen is a problem. Like I said, it's early. It's been four games, but it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, And for me, the White Sox bullpen as a whole, it gets my bum of the week award. I'd like to push back on it, but I think it actually applies fine because I can we name one guy in the White Sox bullpen that did their job this weekend? 
that like maybe the bit the best reliever was who Jimmy Lambert but like he didn't look amazing in his first appearance but like I, I don't think there was anybody that really did their job uh to perfection um the bummer thing for me, by the way, too, just my last point on it, it, it's really just his pitch style. He relies on that slider so much as a lefty. Um, and when you're a lefty throwing a slider and you're facing right-handed hitters specifically, the ideal pitch is to try and land it on his back foot. That's like the where you want to try and throw your ball to have it both cross the plate as a strike and dip out of there before anybody can do anything with it. Now, if you're trying to land the ball on a guy's back foot, there's a good chance that you're going to put a ball in the dirt here or there or not execute the pitch to perfection. So what happens when you've got runners on base and you throw a ball in the dirt? It's on your catcher to block a 85-mile-an-hour spinner right at the dirt to perfection. Otherwise, you're giving up 90 feet and potentially a run, which is exactly what we saw happen. So that's another reason why... I don't like that. Like you can spike a ball to a right-handed hitter all you want with the bases empty. And I, I'll think it's a good pitch. You can't do it with runners on base. And Aaron Bummer uses that pitch too frequently to be something he can go to with regularity. But yeah, I, I nothing wrong with what you said about the bullpen. Like I said, I don't think there was one guy that, you know, really I, I could say you were solid and you did your job. There were some little blips of imperfections here and there with everybody. And they need Liam Hendricks back as soon as they can get him. I think Kendall Graveman will be fine and very good for them down the stretch. I don't really have a ton of worry about, about him, uh, but you would like to see them clean things up back there for sure. Um, Noah, your favorite moment. Did you have a favorite moment that really stood out to you of, of the weekend? Um, for me, there were quite a few, actually. There were there were some good moments this weekend, but the one that I went with was Andrew Vaughn's two-run double in the opener. Um, obviously, it was just one game, and it was the first game of the season, but it felt really, really good to come out of the first game of the season with a win. Um, the White Sox had lost their opening game four years in a row prior to this year. And so it was just uh, it was just a good feeling when, you know, you feel like there were some blown chances. There was the Moncada play at third base that was kind of bothering you. You had a tie game in the eighth inning uh, and a couple of guys had gotten out in key situations earlier. And then Andrew Vaughn finally breaks through and he gets the two run double. And now you feel like. Holy crap, we got a chance to win this game. Um, also partially because I predicted Andrew Vaughn to be an all-star this year. I can't lie. Um, so it's good to see an early, a, an early good thing from my all-star prediction, but it was just, it was a good moment and it was a great kind of pick me up uh, just to get us started off on the right foot this year. Andrew Vaughn didn't, uh, he didn't play his best baseball this weekend. I, I mean, it wasn't like in one of those series where you're just like, man, this guy rakes, but I, what I thought was very funny and, and awesome was the fact that he got on base over 40% of the time while not playing his best ball. So like you talk about a guy that you want to have consistently uh, in the middle of your lineup and, and consistently a productive bat for you. Look at a guy who even at his worst is going to find a way to get on base and have a couple clutch hits for you, which he, he had another big one today that scored a run late in the game to kind of pad a lead and extend an inning. Um, and ultimately led to the Sox blowing the thing open. So uh, yeah, I mean, not his best, not his worst, but I, I think I'll take that 40% number all day if I'm, uh, if I'm the White Sox. But I had a, a similar favorite moment to you because mine was opening day dub, but I, I'm kind of going to, as I was talking earlier, I kind of realized that my true favorite moment was sitting back and watching Dylan cease, watching Dylan work a little bit like, I, I really can't tell you how much fun I was having watching him pitch and uh, to go an entire off season of missing White Sox baseball and then watch your ace that uh, you that we all love so much. Uh, take the mound and just shove it down the throats of the Houston Astros was was just awesome. It, it was it, it, he was dominant in every way. So, yeah, Dylan Cease, his outing was was awesome to watch and, and I had a blast. So that was my favorite moment of of the week. Um, Noah, I want to get to Pedro Grafol, who uh, I think did 
both good things and bad things this week. Uh, I asked you to kind of give a grade to Pedro Grafol on his first weekend. This will not be a recurring segment like some of these other ones that we go over every week. But I, I guess your initial reaction to Pedro as a manager, he had he lost both challenges and back-to-back games on questionable calls and like decisions to challenge things that, you know, could have cost the Sox down the line. I didn't like the bummer decision. A lot of people didn't like Jose Ruiz coming into a game to face Kyle Tucker with the game on the line. So where did you stand on Pedro's debut as White Sox manager? Yeah, all of those things uh, were things that I agree with. I was a little bit confused by, especially the challenge uh, during Saturday's game on the, I think it was a stolen base, the play at second base. Um, You know, he looked safe in real time. And then they announced that the White Sox were challenging. And I was like, oh, interesting. He looked safe. I wonder if like he came off the base or something. And they show the replay and he didn't. And I was just really like, I'm not sure why they're challenging this. In a situation like that, it, those are not that unusual in the set, like, because you'll see a player plead to his manager to challenge. And, and sometimes the player is just wrong, but I'm like, all right, well, Tim looked up and said, Pedro, get the headset on. Like I, I, I tagged him. He was out. He was out. I was there. I didn't see that out of Tim. Like I, I didn't see any sort of like push to be like, oh, go challenge this. It was kind of like, and he's in there. And then, like you said, it's just like, and the White Sox are going to look at this. It was like, wait, they're going to do what? So, yeah, that was an odd one. And then the one today uh, on Sunday of the hit by pitch that, you know, Clevenger was pleading in that case. Mike Clevenger was like signaling, like, review it, review it, review it. And that one I get was like a little bit closer. You could have made a case for the knob of the bat, but not something that really would ever get overturned on a replay and another loss challenge early in the game. Yeah, that one may have hit his bat. It's pretty hard to tell. Um, But those like hit by pitch challenges in general are just not easy to challenge. It's super hard to get an overturn on those. So I still disagreed with the, with the challenge. I think in those cases, like unless it's really, really obvious that it didn't hit him, then there's not really a reason to do it. Um, I didn't love the Jose Ruiz decision either. Uh, We've tried the Jose Ruiz high leverage situation before, and it it just doesn't work. Um, Now, he said after the game, Aaron Bummer wasn't available. So I'm not sure who else he would have gone to, but. Jose Ruiz is just a sick guy, man, because it's like. You, just when you think you're out on him, he does what he did in the World Baseball Classic, and you're just like, maybe he's unlocked it. Maybe he's figured out that stuff. He's got it. He, like he he know he has the stuff, and then it's like you'll do him in low leverage for a little bit, and he looks dominant. And then the minute that you give him a high leverage situation, it all seems to blow back up and like blow up right in your face, and you're just like, why did we trust him again? I like, why did we decide this was a good idea? Yeah, so I, I'm pretty pretty much done with the Jose Ruiz high leverage situation ever kind of thing. But I guess to be fair, you know, Pedro Griffol is new. He hasn't really watched a ton of Jose Ruiz to know specifically that he doesn't do well in high leverage situations. But well, I mean, it's his job he, to know that. But I know, but you know, Ruiz's ERA last year was decent, so he might have just looked at that and been like, oh, we got a reliable guy, and he if, looked good in the World Baseball Classic. So I'm going to interrupt you, because if Pedro Grafol views Jose Ruiz as a reliable guy by looking at his ERA, the White Sox are in trouble. But this guy, he's getting paid millions of dollars. His job is to not just look at the ERA, it's to look at every advanced metric, it's to watch every bit of tape, It's to talk to Ethan Katz and Kurt Hassler and, uh, you know, go over this bullpen and these pitchers, what they're good at, what they're not good at, how they can improve uh, and know your own guys inside and out. That is the, the DNA of a good manager. So I hope that that is not the case. And that's not what uh, Pedro Griffol was doing. I hope he looked at his stuff and said, you know, this is better than what it was last year. Let's try him in this spot. Or maybe he just felt like he had no other option. But uh, yeah, let's hope it's not just a glance at the ERA and Pedro's just a box score, like a box score guy. 
And Tony Larusa felt like an ERA kind of guy to me, and so I'm just I'm kind of used to that from Sox managers. Tony Larusa was um, a I got a bad feeling in my left knee kind of guy. He was like, uh, <laughs> I woke up this morning and my Cheerios spelled out Ruiz, and so I decided <laughs> to throw him in the eighth. And it's like, uh, all right, Tony. <laughs> it's like that was more of what Tony Larusa was. Um, but a more positive thing from Griffol, kind of going back to Larusa a little bit, is. Did you notice something about the lineups this weekend? Yep. Uh, that is a, I didn't even have that down to bring up, but I, I did think it. So I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you're talking about it. Now today, Sunday, getaway day, the White Sox left Houston after the game, they flew home. I'm used to seeing the getaway day lineups and seeing, oh, look, you know, five of our starters are already on the plane. So the, the entire bench is in the lineup today, but the White Sox played their regular lineup relatively the entire weekend. I mean, you had yes or Saturday where Zavala played instead of Grandal. That's normal for a catcher to get a day off, especially a day game after a night game. And then you had uh, Gavin Sheets was in the lineup on Friday. Um, and Grifol said that with Andrew Vaughn kind of missing some of the end of spring training, they wanted to give him a day off during the first series, but the lineup was consistent. I mean, Almost all of their starters played all four games, and that is not something that we saw with Tony LaRussa. Tony LaRussa's mentality was, well, I have 13 hitters on my roster. I'm going to use 13 hitters. And Pedro Grifol's mentality is more of, these are my best hitters. They're going to play every day. And then these other guys are going to be here for situations where I might need them. Well, and and additionally- so I think that's definitely uh, something that is refreshing to see from Grifol and definitely a big positive. And additionally, like everybody played, like he found a way for everybody to play without limiting how often he was getting his best nine. Like we saw Hanser Alberto in the ninth inning as a defensive replacement. Now is Hanser Alberto a good defensive replacement for Yohan Moncada? No, Yohan's the better defender at third base, but I do like that situation there where you're saying, here's a guy who hasn't gotten off the bench yet. We've done this road trip to Houston. Everybody on the roster has contributed at this point in time. Everybody's pitched or everybody's played except him. Let's get him a half inning in at third base and and make sure everybody's got their feet wet here in this first series. I like that. Now, he didn't hit Hanser Alberto for Yuamankata in the ninth, and Yuamankata ended up hitting a a home run in that at bat. That really broke the game open. He didn't start Hanser Alberto in the game and, and put him in the lineup. And the other thing, too, not just who was playing, by the way, uh, oh, another point on that. Yasmani Grandal played in the game that he didn't start. He did not start on Saturday, and he came off the bench in relief for Sebi Zavala against the right-handed pitcher and drew a walk. And, like, that's another example of just because it's Yasmani's day off doesn't mean you can't use the guy that you view as the superior player in a bigger situation late in the game. On top of that, the lineup itself was consistent in its, in its structure. Tim Anderson's your leadoff hitter. Luis Robert is your number two hitter. You and I might disagree with that. I personally do with where Luis bats, but he's there regardless, and they're going to keep him there. Andrew Vaughn or Andrew Benintendi, depending on the day, we're at three. Eloy was four. Moncada was five. Colas was going to be eight. Andrus is going to be nine. The lineup looks the same. And, and like we went through the entire year last year wondering, have we seen a lineup that is the exact same as another lineup previously in the year? And I don't even know if we got one from Tony LaRusa like throughout last year. It took at the- least, I remember something like 60 games into the season. We still hadn't had two lineups that were the same. So Part of that is the, you know, the injuries or whatever, but like, it, it just felt like every, every day he had to switch something to be the smartest guy in the room in the pitching matchup. And I've loved that Pedro was saying, this is where these guys are hitting occasionally. So-and-so will get bumped up or bumped down or whatever, but this is my best team. And this is who I'm going to play. Yeah, absolutely. It was super refreshing to see. Uh, That was the first thing I noticed. I woke up this morning, the lineup was already out. Uh, I took a look at it and I was like, wait a minute, what day is it? Because I'm not used to seeing all of the starters in the lineup on a Sunday afternoon getaway game. So 
Um, overall, given all the a few questionable decisions, but really good stuff with the lineup. Uh, I am going to give Pedro Grifol a B minus for his first weekend. Um, I think that he's got some room to grow. I think there's some things that he will improve on uh, as he, you know, gets to know his guys better, gets to know his team better, and just kind of gets a feel for being a manager in the major leagues. But um, there was a lot to like. Uh, you could probably argue that his grade should be lower, but I'm so I'm so relieved that he's not Tony Larusa that any I it's hard for me to say many bad things about the guy because he's just so much better than what we had previously. Well, his grade for me it was lower. Like I, I think his decision making warranted a lower grade, like a C at best with like the moves that he made. It just like, there was a lot of mistakes that I think a lot of people weren't happy with. So on that front, uh, I, I can point to errors there, but I did give him a B minus two because of another reason on top of the lineup construction, which was just the energy, which I did feel like the white Sox had, um, uh, we'll see how they are in the dog days, right? Like, I mean, it's easy to get excited for opening weekend against the defending champs. How are you against Detroit in July? Like th- those are the real questions, but uh, I-, I did get good vibes from guys that have not historically been hustle guys or not necessarily shown the best body language, but like we talked about, you know, how Yasmani Grandal looked like he was healthier again. Yoan Moncada looked like he was happy again. Same thing with Tim Anderson. Like it it, it was guys that like started to look like they were just having a lot of fun playing baseball. And as much as Pedro, as long as Pedro is able to maintain that within the White Sox dugout and clubhouse, I think the results will translate. So uh, overall, I was happy to see a team bounce back with some energy after two frustrating losses, get out of there with a split on a getaway day and have some of their best players looking like they have a newfound life in 2023. Um, Real quick, before we get out of here, looking around the AL Central, uh, we don't like to, uh, you know, standings watch, you know, the first weekend of the season, but it is important to know what's going on in the division around you. The Minnesota Twins currently sitting atop of the standings right now. They went 3-0. They swept Kansas City. And Noah, the highlight of the Twins weekend is the starting pitching. Joe Ryan gave up two runs today in a quality start, and they got shutouts from Sonny Gray. They got a shutout from uh, uh, Pablo Lopez in his Twins debut. So uh, a Twins staff that a lot of people were questionable on off to a really good start. Uh, Is that just them playing Kansas City, or is that uh, a, a good Twins team off to a hot start? Maybe a little of both. Um, Kansas City, obviously, we expect them to be towards the bottom in the division. They're probably one of the three worst teams in the American League. Um, but I, I'm i a little bit higher on the Twins pitching staff specifically than a lot of people. I like Pablo Lopez. He was an all-star last year. I think he's, he's a better pitcher than people think. Um, Sonny Gray's always been a decent pitcher, except for the, his time with the Yankees for whatever reason, but he's always been decent when healthy. Joe Ryan showed flashes of being pretty good last year. Uh, same with Tyler Malley with the Reds. His question has always been health too. So I, I think the twins are a solid team. Um, I had them as one of my dark horse contending teams, and I actually picked the twins to win the division this year for the central. So while Kansas City is not a great team uh, and we can't expect the Twins to dominate everybody they play, I don't think the Twins being pretty good this year is uh, going to be abnormal. A big addition for them too, like that I think will dictate how their season goes is Joey Gallo, who they kind of took a flyer on and signed in the offseason. I know a lot of White Sox fans were, uh, you know, in the Joey Gallo camp and wanted to bring him to the South side and take a chance on him. He had a great weekend. I think he hit a home run and had a double or something today. Like he he's off to a hot start. If he's able to, uh, you know, return to the Joey Gallo that we saw in Texas and Byron Buxton can stay healthy and they add Carlos Correa, who, uh, you know, is, you know, in their lineup. And I, you make a face when I say Byron Buxton, stay healthy. What, who knows what staying at DH for part of the early 
goings of the season will do for him over the course of five, six months here. But yeah, Minnesota, they started their season correct at 3-0. and And on the flip side, just a, a pitiful performance by the Royals, who I don't even believe are the worst team in the division. But uh, their starting rotation continues to... I, I thought the rotation was their weakness. They didn't hit. Like, they, they didn't score a run until, like, the fourth inning today on Sunday was their first run of the season. So uh, bad things in Kansas City. Cleveland, the voodoo magic uh, continues for a Guardians team that finds ways to win in the margins. As I mentioned earlier, they go three and one in Seattle against a good Mariners team um, playing some fun and entertaining games and uh, just, you know, scoring runs in their Cleveland Guardians types of ways. So, uh, Noah, how are we feeling? I I thought we might get a Mariners win today. They went to extras. I was hoping to get Cleveland back to our level at a 2-2 split, but no, they uh, pull it out as they always seem to do in Cleveland. Yeah, like you said, it's a little bit early to be watching the division. Um, I do keep an eye on the scores just because I typically keep an eye on all the scores around the league. So not not exclusive to the AL Central, but it's a highlight yeah, I mean, time of year. I like watching the high- exactly. MLB TV does those like a daily rundowns now, too. They're like 40 minute videos of highlights of every game. And those are uh, those are pleasant to watch. It's it's nice around uh April when I still have the energy to keep up with every team and when teams aren't 20 games out of first place. Yeah. um, But specifically as it relates to the guardians, I mean, we touched on them last week, the guardians just, they're good. And they're always good. Um, When the guardians have a bad year, it's like they're around 500. So anyone who thinks that the guardians are just going to roll over and die this year, uh, I think you're going to be mistaken. Um, That team is, that team's going to be competitive. They're going to play tough against everybody. Uh, I'm not looking forward to, those games in Cleveland, when the White Sox have to go to Cleveland. I'm not looking them. forward to any games against Cleveland. They can be in Chicago, and it'll still feel like, uh, you know, it's the house of horrors anytime I see a Guardians jersey, you know, in the opposing dugout. Yeah, and like you said, that, that Mariners team is pretty good, and the Guardians took three out of four from them this weekend. So I was kind of hoping that the Mariners would pull it out today and that they would uh, walk away with the split, same as us. But, you know... Uh, I think it's going to be a three horse race for the division this year. Those are going to be, uh, those are going to be games that down the stretch, like you said, they could matter. Yeah. You know, and I think it's like, this is another point that I've stuck to when I didn't have the white Sox winning the division or making the playoffs in my preseason preview. And, you know, I, I stick by that right now and hopefully I'm wrong. It's certainly possible, but I think it's going to win. It's going to take, 90 92 wins at at least to win the central like I, I think these are good teams that can't be overlooked it's going to take more than like you know eight to ten games over 500 to be the division champ this year like when healthy the White Sox twins and guardians are all you know competitive 90 win teams and part of the reason I think it takes 90 is because of who the other two teams in your division are which is the Royals who are 0 and 3 and the Detroit Tigers, who I think could be the worst team in baseball this year, as odd as that is to say, with the Oakland Athletics essentially intentionally trying to lose 110 games, the Tigers still might find a way to be worse. They got swept in Tampa Bay, uh, outscored 21-3 to in their three games, just a pitiful, pitiful you know, weekend for Tigers fans. And I think there's a lot of those to come. Is there a worse way to spend opening weekend than getting outscored 21 to three in Tampa Bay against the Rays? A bunch of guys you've never heard of beating you, uh, beating the brakes off you every day. Well, you could get outscored 21 to two or 21 to one, or they could have just not scored this weekend. So I guess that would be worse, but there's not a whole lot of ways that would be worse than that, to be honest. It's just so like, if you're a Detroit Tigers fan right now, how quickly does the luster of a new baseball season wear off? It's like, I'm already, I already don't care if I'm a Tigers like, are, fan. Are you, are I'm you sick done. of it by, ne- by this time <laughs> next week that you might get up for the home opener? You know, you might have a fun Javi Baez moment here and there, but like, yeah, how far into the season do you make it before you're checked out? Uh, Let's find a Tigers fan and find out. But Noah, the upcoming schedule for the White Sox that we will recap uh, next week is the San Francisco Giants for the home opener 
are coming to town tomorrow. It is a 2-10 start tentatively, you know, weather permitting. Hopefully the White Sox are able to get that game off. Michael Kopech will pitch for the White Sox against Anthony DiSclefani. For the Giants, they will play on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday with the first off day of the season coming on Tuesday. And then it's off to Pittsburgh for the White Sox. So two series coming up against two National League teams that, uh, you know, you don't see the Sox match up against very often and probably some winnable games here, especially the Pittsburgh series. It's a, a one that you have to take advantage of with the new scheduling format. You, this is a team that you're going to have to try and win a series from. So we will have a recap of the next six games, and hopefully we're talking about Nate and two White Sox team the next time the two of us come together. But a two and two start for the White Sox in Houston. They hang with the defending champs in a fun and competitive series um, and a lot more baseball to go as we get ready to ride. But, uh, you know, make sure you're back with us next week. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at P-I-O-T-B pod. We are going to start live tweeting games uh, and bringing you all of the engaging White Sox content that you crave on your timeline. So drop a follow and make sure you tune in next week. We're putting crooked numbers up on that board. We'll see you. 